Welcome to Behave Intelligently, an uncensored exploration of behavior in the workplace, life, and the larger world. Behave Intelligently is co-hosted by fellow behavioral enthusiasts, Jay Johnson and Mark Garrison, and produced by the amazingly talented team at Coeus Creative Group. Thank you for joining this week's edition, where we are going to continue our conversations around mental health. Because while Mental Health Awareness Month was May, we think that this topic's important enough right now to really bring in some amazing opportunities for our listeners. And that is in the form of one of our dear colleagues, Maria Evans of Thriving Lives. So Maria is somebody that I had the opportunity to meet a long time ago through one of our local networking organizations. We've done some work. She works as a therapist and life coach, and she received her master's degree in clinical psychology from Madonna University and received a bachelor's degree in both brain, behavioral, cognitive science, and in English from the University of Michigan. Maria has also been a featured as a TEDx speaker for her knowledge on helping people gain a positive mindset. We can't be more excited to have you. Welcome, Maria. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. So as people know, we love behavioral science, but we are not the clinical side of things. And you are. Can you just maybe tell us a little bit about what brought you into the world of, of being of clinical therapy and behavioral uh, cognitive behavioral science and so on and so forth. Sure. So actually, um, when I began studying at U of M, I was actually pre-med and was pre-med up to my junior year while I was studying for the MCAT exam to get into med school. And it was around this time that I saw a big shift happening in the world of medicine where doctors um, seemed to be losing a lot of that patient face-to-face -face time. They came in more, provided a diagnosis. And then a lot of like the nurses, medical assistants would come in and continue that treatment. And I really love the idea of creating that human connection. Uh, it was something that I had experienced from my pediatricians, doctors, you know, years before. And so I started thinking, what is a way that I can help heal people while still fulfilling people's need, that real human need for connection, for feeling heard. And that's where I really uh, gravitated to the field of psychology. And once I started my clinical psychology degree, I knew that this was the fit for me and I've never been happier. That's awesome. And it's, you know, it's funny because I guarantee our listeners, now that they've heard your voice, probably heard the exact same thing when I first heard you talk, like it's so calming. It's <laughs> something that can just kind of change the entire mood and nature of the room that you're in. And obviously I've gotten to hear a ton of testimonials about how exceptional your service is. So we're really excited to get in there and ask some questions today. Uh, I'm going to share with it now, share it with the audience now, but also later. If you want to learn more about Maria Evans and and Thriving Lives, you can go to the number four thrivinglives.com, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. So please feel free to connect with Maria. Uh, she's an absolutely fantastic resource. Mark, I'll kick it over to you. Do you have anything that you want to start us off with? Well, I was going to say the same thing you just said, Jay. Um, Maria's tone on this show really shifts what we're what we're used to. Um, Jay and I don't usually have the the real soft, warm, welcoming tone, so uh, definitely changes changes today's episode a little bit. Um, you know, I want to start with just a little more background. Um, 
when patients or or clients would come to see you, um, I, I know there's a lot of rules and, and restrictions in, in what you can share. And I, I don't want to ask about anything in particular, but I want to make sure that they feel comfortable if they were to reach out to you. What are some of those, um, I don't want to call them security practices, but maybe, I guess maybe that's what they are. Um, what can they share with you? Do you share any of that information with anyone else? How private is that experience? That's a great question, Mark. So actually the field of psychology, a field of mental health in general, if you're seeing a licensed mental health professional, uh, we take confidentiality um, very, very seriously. In fact, we're one of probably the most confidential professions that exist out there. Um, of course, we are HIPAA compliant as well, but in terms of confidentiality, everything that is said within our office, even within the intake process, when somebody calls in um, and is speaking to one of the administrative assistants that we have, that is also considered privileged confidential information. Um, so much so that if somebody were to call into the office asking for information about a particular client that we may be seeing, we can't even confirm or deny whether they are a current patient here. Um, that is how strict our confidentiality policies are. That's incredible. That's fantastic. And I, and I think that's, you know, I wanted to start with that because I think that's important for a lot of people um, when they are seeking some level of help to know that those levels of protection are there for them um, because it might already be a challenge for them to ask for help. Well, and I can speak, you know, from my own personal experience. I, I grew up playing hockey and mixed martial arts. I was a tough guy. And I, even if I would have wanted to reach out at that time, younger Jay Johnson didn't know how these things worked. I would have been, you know, I would have felt worried about even reaching out for potential help because if my hockey team ever found out and, you know, things are a little different now than they were 25 years ago. I don't want to date myself, but at the same time, I imagine that some people that that initial phone call or that initial challenge of potential stigma or shame might be something that precludes people from getting the help that they absolutely need. Is that, what's your experience been with anything like that, Maria? You know, I think we've come a long way in terms of stigma and shame uh, surrounding getting help professionally. I think we've got a long ways to go though. Um, one of the things I am noticing that really just warms my heart is a lot of the younger clients I see, I'm, I'm talking grade school, um, even early college, they seem much more willing in, the, in today's climate to talk about receiving services, uh, actually re recommending therapy services to their friends. Um, you know, but in terms of some of the older adults and, and Jay, I totally understand what you're saying. I think about when I was much younger too, you know, this, this just wasn't talked about um, like I'm starting to see now. So I think confidentiality really plays an important role for those people that are still very hesitant, um, but it also plays a really important role in how therapy works in general, you know, allowing us to be a lot more open and honest about the things that we're thinking and feeling which is really part of what makes treatment work. I think that pairs really well with what we had talked about in our last episode on health literacy and people's willingness to report, whether it's physical health, whether it's mental health, emotional health, or any of those types of, of spaces. You know, as, 
as the world hopefully becomes more health literate, that will be a trend that you see continue. I'm glad to hear that it's not as much with the newer generations because, you know, there's so much, there's, we go to the doctor when we're sick, but our most important organ in the entire body that runs everything else, we're afraid to go and talk about that we might be experiencing something there. And that's, that's kind of, it's sad, but it's also scary too, to an extent. So thank you for the work that you do to help kind of make that stigma and make that shame, not necessarily. If you were to advise us, say we knew somebody that said, you know, I'm really thinking about seeking some additional support, but I'm just, I'm afraid to do it. I'm scared to do it. What might you coach somebody like me or Mark, who's not a clinical professional or even our audience that maybe they hear that, how would you coach them to encourage safely and with empathy, how would you encourage them to maybe help their friend, colleague, spouse, partner, whomever seek that help if they need it? Yeah, you know, I think validation actually would go a long way in that uh, conversation. The fact that they are open to telling you that they've been considering it, but are maybe hesitant to do so, is showing that, you know, deep down, they want to receive it. Maybe they're just wondering, like, is it okay? What will you think of me if I do pick up the phone and call to make an appointment? So validating, letting them know, you know, this is something that, is really important and I really care about you. If you have a personal story too and you're willing to share it, you know, saying, you know what, I've received services myself in the past can go a long way to helping somebody um, making that first step. Now, validation sounds like that would be a, a barrier for someone taking that first step. What are some of the other more, I don't want to say popular, but more frequent barriers that you might encounter? In terms of barriers to seeking treatment for the first time? Yeah, yep. Yeah, so some of the other ones um, might be they're worried about the cost of treatment. Um, and now many insurance plans cover mental health or insurance plans usually call it behavioral health. So people can call up their insurance, um, see what their coverage is like. Um, for people who don't have insurance or don't have the coverage, many therapists offer what's called a sliding scale fee to make it more accessible as well. Um, the other barrier is still, I think, you know, worried about stigma, worried about shame. Um, so much of uh, mental health struggles can't always be seen on the outside. And so I think people are worried about, you know, if they do seek help, will they be taken seriously? Some people feel like they have to wait until symptoms are really bad before seeing a professional, and that is not the case at all. Um, the sooner somebody is recognizing symptoms, maybe they had their first panic attack, um, that's a great time to get in and see someone. You don't have to wait until the panic attacks are consistent and constant. Same with depression or someone who experienced a trauma, right? Thinking about it as preventative care and not just being reactive to something um, that is getting much worse. Well, and I think that that's huge because I, if, any of the places, we know this intuitively. If you don't do preventative maintenance on your car, you're going to have a multiple thousand dollar bill because your car is going to shut down. If you don't do preventative maintenance on your physical health, you're going to start experiencing some longer term problems. And it just makes a lot of sense to say, hey, I don't need to be in a crisis 
to get a tune-up or to get some support or some help or some uh, to learn some behavioral coping mechanisms that maybe the stress is, because I would imagine, and, and maybe you can talk about this, it's probably easier in that sort of prevention or early stages if I'm experiencing some anxiety, if I'm experiencing some depression or some sad states maybe even, it's probably much easier to get that under control in the early stages than it is when it becomes uh, you know, an existential crisis. Could you maybe speak to that? Yeah, and you bring up a great point, Jay. In fact, recent research uh, from the National Institute on Mental Health shows it takes a person on average here in the United States 10 years before they seek treatment from when they first notice onset of symptoms. And when we think about it, right, think about your own life, how much changes in a 10 year span that starts adding and layering on top of what you would have initially seen a professional for. So I think that's where people get a little hesitant about um, seeking out therapy because they wonder, how long will I be in treatment? And for a lot of people, the longer you wait, the longer, the more stuff there is to unpack um, from all of those years of things that have built on top of it. Uh, for people who are noticing things right away, right? We can give skills, uh, tools, ways of understanding your own emotions, behavior. I think emotional literacy too kind of comes into that health literacy that uh, you had been talking about in your last podcast. Um, and just understanding what we're feeling, why we're feeling it, goes a long way to helping people recover in their environment faster. Well, and that's great too, because from that emotional capacity, not only is obvious there's there's huge mental health benefits and everything else, but we also talk about emotional intelligence as you know one of the key primary drivers of behavioral intelligence and also you know applications to leadership and business and jobs and professions. So I, you can see where all of these threads sort of interact with each other. If someone were you know coming to see you or or another professional, what does the the schedule or frequency maybe look like? Um, and I know that can vary person to person, but if I'm someone who's a little hesitant to seek help, um, but I hear other people talking about it, do I, I, I probably think like, oh, I, that's a major time commitment and I don't have time to deal with that right now because I have all this other stuff going on and all that other stuff might be what's causing you know, some <laughs> of these other issues. So how, do, how does someone balance or, or how do you explain that to them that, you know, putting in that little bit of time early on. Um, Save you hours yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, great question, Mark. Um, so within the very first appointment, what happens is um, the therapist is getting to know the person's needs, what their goals are, what symptoms have led them to um, start seeking treatment. And then after we gather all that information, get to know the person a bit better, um, then we can make a, a better treatment plan in terms of frequency, what they can expect from the process. Um, typically for most people, therapy begins as a once a week process and then starts to taper off as they're learning more of the skills, understanding more about themselves, because then they've got longer time to practice the things that they've learned, um, put it into real world application within their lives, 
and then they come back and check in, let us know how it's going. We make adjustments as needed. And then I love to call it graduation from therapy um, because I believe therapy doesn't necessarily need to be this forever thing. Of course, people can come back. Depending on what brings people in, it may take them longer for treatment. But for most people, they learn the skills, they understand their whys, um, and then they graduate and, and they have so many more tools so that when life inevitably throws us a curveball again, right, they know better ways to get through whatever that challenge is in front of them. You know, I, that's great. Yeah, I love that you said it. We're, we're speaking with Maria Evans of Thriving Lives, uh, in, in a place that helps with behavioral health and mental health awareness. But what you just said there, I think, actually is something that a lot of people maybe have a misnomer about. They think, if I start therapy, I'm going to be in therapy for the rest of my life, or I'm never going to be able to get out of this, and it's just going to, I'm going to go back and back and back. And I, I, what you just said, that graduation, what, a, what an amazing concept. I don't know that I've actually heard somebody say it like that. that that's really, really cool. And it gives, it gives a nice end date for, for people who, you know, if they are... Uh, a fire or an earth, right? You give them some structure that applies to earth, the fire, you give the end date, something that they can work towards. And I think that helps uh, a lot of people with their behaviors, right? They, we, we understand how their behavioral preferences operate. And it sounds like you're addressing a lot of those in that structure you've created. Um, so I think that's a, a fantastic um, way to lay out that, that framework. You know, I want to go back to something that we had mentioned. You, you know, you, you chose this path. You went into this because of the people. And I think that that's, you know, the people and the connection and, and creating that connection between, you know, the, the humanization of health. How is, you know, w when you look at your field, it, and obviously there are some just incredible, incredible people in the field that have dedicated themselves. How, what are some of the things that you have done or that, you know, things that you're super proud of in sort of helping to engage that person that doesn't quite understand the value of, of mental health therapy or of even coming in and just talking to somebody? What are some of those moments maybe in your career that you're like, and obviously without sharing information about those, but uh, are there any moments that really stand out to you that you're like, you know, this, this really kind of let me know that I, I'm on the right path. I'm exactly where I need to be right at this time. You know, I've, I think I've been so blessed to have quite a few of those moments happen within my career already. Um, you know, I, I think about the graduations that have happened, you know, people who have come in. I think about people who began treatment having, you know, tried all these different things, um, you know, tried treatment before. And, you know, I just want to say real quick to that is finding the right therapist is also very important too. Every therapist has a different style, different approach. Um, one necessarily isn't better than the other, but in terms of human connection, right, you have to find the one that speaks to you. And I've seen people come in who've had panic attacks every single day, thinking it was going to be the rest of their life. And then graduating from treatment, not having had a panic attack in almost a year's time. And, wow. you know, 
being able to get off of certain medications. For some people, that is a possibility. Um, you know, just wonderful things. Kids being able to learn their emotions, manage their behaviors, become successful in school, develop friendships. Um, just some really wonderful things have happened. That's, that's fantastic. So I want to switch gears for just a moment. Sure. You are a TEDx speaker, so that is something. We've actually both spoke at the Livonia uh, CC TEDx, but yours is entitled Interpreting Positivity. Could you give our listeners maybe just a little bit, because I'm gonna, we're going to point them to this, go watch this. It's an incredible talk. Maybe if you could just give a, a moment about what that's about and how to, uh, you know, what is interpreting positivity? Sure. So one of the things uh, when I was picked to do the TEDx speaking um, is I wanted to be able to give people some real life applications, things they can do, as we were talking about a bit earlier in the show, right? Some of the preventative measures. You know, we've got so many of those in terms of understanding best practices for our physical health, um, you know, dental hygiene, right? Things that are good for our eyes. And yet we don't have a lot of information on there, uh, out there for things that are good for our brain, for our mind. And so interpreting positivity really takes a look at, you know, when things, are a struggle or just some of those day-to-day -day stuff. Like when we wake up thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be a bad day. How do we know that already? Like we just woke up. Is it because we accidentally spilled coffee on ourselves, or we ran into a traffic jam on the way to work? We're already assuming something about how the rest of this day is about to go without having gone through that day. So I talk about some things that people can do that reshifts their mindset, uh, restructures their thinking, uh, to allow them to see more of those opportunities that can come up, um, you know, and then grab a hold of them. Well, we love the application-based things here on Behave Intelligently. So uh, listeners, go and check this out. Maria Evans, Interpreting Positivity. It's a great TEDx talk. It's about 11 minutes, 31 seconds. It'll be the best 11 minutes and 31 seconds of your day <laughs> other than listening to her right now. So... I feel left out. I don't have a TEDx talk. I guess that that'll be my uh, my objective for the next year here. Put you on that growth path. Perfect. So, uh, Maria, what are maybe a couple of things? And and we don't need to we don't need to necessarily steal the thunder from the TEDx talk. But if if we have a couple of listeners and listeners, uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, send us an email at podcast at coeuscreativegroup.com. Tell us what you think, or if there's some different ways that we can connect you to Maria or resources, we would love to do so. But Maria, in, in, in a little bit of time here, what, are, what is maybe one simple thing that I could maybe do on a daily basis that would just give me a little, that, that sort of pop or is something that would help maybe reduce a little of my anxiety or stress? Because I, I've gotten the opportunity to hear these uh, when we work together on, you know, reducing anxiety in public speaking or, you know, reducing sort of that overall general anxiety. I think that that would be a really interesting way to help maybe some of our listeners. What's something simple that I could take on? Yeah, I would say the number one thing is noticing gratitude moments. You know, I think we get so caught up in our day-to-day -day life, uh, some of the stressors, things that need our attention now, 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 that we lose sight of the different 
things we have to be thankful for in our right now moment. And I think a lot of times, especially with stress, um, right? Like stress is making us think about all these negative what if possibilities. So if we can shift our mind back to things that are going well for us right now, it's almost like this break for our brain in terms of all of that constant stress and worry to just focus on the things that are going right in this current moment. Um, it's also very mindfulness-based, pulling yourself back to the right here, right now. That sounds sounds really fascinating. You know, it's and Jay's question. I, you know, I had something lined up. I was going to ask. It's very similar. Um, a lot of people and a lot of businesses right now, especially in Michigan, but several other states, are starting to open back up. They're starting to go back to the office. And I think there's this um, battle between uh, employees and business owners on what to do and how to handle the situations. You know, employees in some cases haven't been uh, in an office with their colleagues in over a year. Um, some may love that and some may want to be back together. Um, some businesses are struggling with, you know, do we still enforce wearing masks? Do I uh, try to favor towards what my customers are asking for versus maybe the safety and protection of what the employees might want? Um, having gone to a few different stores in the last couple of days in Michigan, you know, I carry a mask in my pocket because some places still require it, some places don't. Um, what are some ways that uh, both customers, employees, or employers um, might be able to do to help become aware of what is needed and maybe how to address that. You know, it's kind of a wide, wide, wide range on the question. Sure. Uh, the first thing that's really popping up in my mind is the term active listening. You know, being willing to you know, put some questions out there that are maybe specific to their company, to their employees or customers in terms of, you know, what are people feeling and why? And really, you know, the term active listening is more than just taking in what someone says, but really trying to put yourself into their shoes. Um, you know, like you were mentioning in Michigan, there's so many different businesses right now that are trying to grapple with what to do and how to do it. Um, you know, and in terms of the anxiety that some people are still feeling, we need to remember that anxiety serves a very important function um, for everybody, right? It helps keep us safe. It motivates us. Uh, we just need to figure out, you know, how to, you know, still promote that safety aspect while still figuring out, okay, is this anxiety just a bit too high? Is it impeding us in terms of things that um, we need to do that are gonna be good for us? And that's a, you know, each business, depending on what they do and how they do it, um, they really need to take a look at all of those things and really welcome some of that feedback to make these decisions. I think you're so spot on there. And I think that that's even a challenge for some business owners. They're they're maybe even a little afraid to open what they would consider Pandora's box. If I ask these questions, what happens, you know, if my employees say that they need these things or, or anything else, but if you don't ask those questions, what's going to happen? And that's, you know, that's always, whenever I hear somebody kind of reject or push back on something like what you just said is, 
okay, we'll turn that around and ask the opposite. What if you don't do this? What if your employees are not comfortable communicating their challenges? What if your customers are not? Well, that's, it's, it's it, for me at least, you know, when I'm working with businesses, it's all about confront some of these challenging questions or confront these emotions. How might I be able to like protect myself if I'm a business owner? What, what, it, what words of wisdom or advice might you give for me taking that step. And this could be even in a broader capacity. I have this fear, I have this anxiety for asking for help. I have this fear, this anxiety that's stopping me from opening up a conversation. What might be one thing that I could just, you know, keep in mind when, I, when I'm taking that motivational leap to just, okay, let's do this. I think it would be trying to ask yourself, what is this fear trying to help me with? Is this a fear that's trying to protect me emotionally? Am I worried that the answer or response that I get is going to be different than what I really want? And, you know, if that's the case, perhaps before I ask the question, I need to think through what are some of the answers that I might receive and figure out, okay, from an emotion standpoint and also a logic standpoint, um, you know, how do I bring those two pieces of my mind together to make some of the best decisions and form decisions? And in therapy, we call it a wise mind stance, where we take our emotion mind and our rational or logic mind and combine the two in that middle ground. We really don't want to try to make decisions based on only one side of our brain. We want both to be speaking to each other. And so I think being able to talk through it first, maybe before asking those questions of customers or employees um, would really help some of these business owners. That's a great piece of advice. And I love that concept of engaging both the emotional side, the, the feeling side of the brain, the logic, the thought side of the brain and you know, sort of putting those together to create whatever the behavioral actions or behavioral decisions that we make. It's, it's brilliant, Maria. Do you know, do you or other therapists in your profession, do they work with small businesses to help from a business side kind of manage some of these scenarios versus more the one-on-one -on -one, um, therapy side? Actually, there's a whole field of psychology dedicated to that and called industrial organizational psychology, where people can get very specialized degrees to help um, businesses, especially large businesses, um, understand some of these things within their company. Is it, are, are there ones that work with like really small, like smaller businesses that may not have the the budgets to hire on a full IO psychologist to consult with them? And, and that's a great question, Mark, because we do a lot of work with entrepreneurs and solopreneurs that are like, right. <laughs> I think there are some out there, yes, that can work with the smaller businesses. And in fact, in terms of like some professional coaching um, that helps some of these small business leaders understand um, you know, really their vision, how they want their company to look moving forward. Um, you know, and Jay, I know you've done some really great presentations on, on things like that for businesses as well. I'm glad you brought up coaching because one of the things that you have in your bio is, is life coaching. And is, is there, how do you look at life coaching or that sort of coaching aspect? Is that, you know, similar? Is it different? Is there something that distinguishes, okay, I'm in a clinical psychological setting versus a, a more life coaching session? I'd love for you to be able to share on that. And, and obviously, 
Uh, if you need a life coach, you've heard the voice, you've heard the thoughts behind her. This is Maria Evans of Thriving Lives. So what, what are your, how do you determine those two different things or, or what's the you know, distinguishing characteristics of each? Sure. I think for me, the distinguishing characteristics of each one is life coaching is really, I look at it more of um, like a goal setting preventative type approach. You know, people that don't necessarily have, um, you know, serious symptom concerns, they wouldn't be able to be officially diagnosed with a mental health disorder. Perhaps they're just looking to figure out, you know, career options. Um, maybe they've lost a job and they're trying to figure out, okay, what do I do next? Um, you know, or maybe they're just trying to figure out, you know, just larger goals or how to have better relationships with family, friends, coworkers, maybe. Um, so that would be more the life coaching side. Once, and that's really where like that first session is so important to determine what somebody is looking for. If I'm listening and it sounds like, you know what, there are some mental health concerns here, right? We, we might need a diagnosis criteria for say some anxiety or maybe uh, what we call adjustment disorders where there have been a really big disruption in somebody's life. Um, then that would be more of the clinical side of things and it would be the uh, therapy. Okay. That's, that makes a lot of sense. So, and you and Thriving Lives offer both of those options. So if you are looking for that type of service, we're going to encourage you to reach out and connect with Maria. Um, Mark, do you have anything sort of, I know we're running towards the end of our, our show here. Is there anything that you want to ask as kind of a final or? Um, yeah, my, my final question, I guess, would be when people think about mental health, or I should say some people, when they think about mental health, they think they're going to get drugged up and that's the solution. All of our conversation has not been about any kind of medication side. And I think that's something that at least I think still exists. You still see it a lot in movies, TV shows. Um, do you encounter that a lot with, with new people coming in or people who might be reaching out thinking that that's all it is, is some kind of prescription drugs and there's no conversations or discussions through therapy. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Mark. Um, I do still have a lot of people that worry that coming to see a therapist means they're going to have to get on a medication. And that's not true. Uh, therapy, if you see a psychologist, social worker, counselor, marriage family therapist, we actually don't prescribe medicine. We are trained in therapeutic techniques through behavioral modification, talking through things to help change people's lives for the better. Now, there are some people whose symptoms are more on the severe side where medication is helpful, is needed. Um, and those are conversations where if I'm working with somebody and I see that you know progress is maybe not moving as quickly as the person would like or symptoms are starting to get worse, we have conversations about that together. I find out how do they feel about medication. And then I have them see a specialist, a psychiatrist, somebody who went to medical school and specializes in prescribing mental health medications. Um, that way they're seeing somebody who understands the ins and outs because um, there's so many different medications out there currently um, and new ones that are being offered. So um, seeing a specialist can be very helpful for those that are considering going on medication. 
That's super interesting. So, and I love that you do that in sort of that collaborative conversational way with the people, you know, asking them how they feel about it or where they might be at, you know, in their current journey. That's incredible, Maria. So again, we're talking with Maria Evans of Thriving Lives. If you want to visit their website, it is the number four thrivinglives.com. Maria, what would be a, a place where people could get more information other than the website? Are you guys on LinkedIn, Facebook, or anywhere like that that you'd like to direct people to? Or is there like an info email that somebody could reach out to? What, what would be a great place if one of our listeners wanted to touch base and connect with you? How might they do so? Sure. I think the website is probably the best way to do it. We also have um, email directly through the website where they can get in touch with us. And if they want more information on any one of our therapists we have here, we're also found on Psychology Today, which is another really great resource for finding a therapist, um, you know, that works best for you. That's awesome. I love Psychology Today. I have subscription. It always comes in. I really, <laughs> really enjoy it. It's very accessible, even for somebody who's not a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist. So check out some of the articles there. That's a, that's a great resource. Um, I just want to say thank you again for joining us, being our guest today. This has been incredibly enlightening, and I, I, I'll speak for myself. I'll let Mark speak for himself, but it's always a pleasure to be collaborating with you, to having conversations with you, and thank you so much for your time today. Mark, anything? No, definitely appreciate having you on, and um, I think you gave a lot of great answers and insights for our listeners, and hopefully if any of them are in need um, they now feel a little more comfortable reaching out and at least asking for help or directions on, on what they should do next. So help combat any stigma or shame and help people in any way that you can. If you need help, there's nothing wrong with that. Please, by all means, reach out and take that opportunity, as Maria said, to do some of that preventative maintenance, you know, even if it's just talking or even just opening up or seeing from a, a life coach perspective, there's a lot of great opportunities to keep us at the top of our game when it comes to mental health, behavioral health, and emotional health. So again, thank you, Maria. It's been an honor to have you. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Mark. So thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Behave Intelligently. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you might be listening. Let us know what you think about this episode. Email us your thoughts at podcast at coeuscreativegroup.com. If you want to learn more about Coeus Creative Group, visit our website or connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Tune in next time when we talk more about behaving intelligently.